All right, you guys ready? All right, sounded like it. You guys are all pumped up during music. Really appreciate our music team. Uh, mentioned the nine o'clock hour. You know, I was, you know, four years old as a church, and we're continuing to grow. But usually, a church like ours doesn't have the quality of music people that we have. So, uh, thankful for them, and uh, appreciate their work each week. Well, we've uh, the last couple of weeks we've been looking at what God has to say about how we can know if we are right with Him, how we know that He's in our lives, uh, that when we die, that we'll know for certain that we're going to be going to heaven. And so the question before us this morning, and for you to consider, is are you certain of that? Do you know for sure that you're right with God, that He's in your life, that when you die, you're going to spend eternity in heaven? And how do you know for sure? You know, if you ask somebody that question, a lot of times they'll talk about something that they've done, or what they're who they are. Well, I think I'm a kind of a good person. I try to be good. But if, if we believe that we have something to do <clears throat> with our salvation, of being right with God, we will always live in uncertainty. Because whether you believe it's just you and your good works, or whether you believe it's what Jesus did on the cross, plus whatever you're supposed to do, you'll never know whether you've done enough. <clears throat> it's impossible to know. Because we all know that we're sinners. We all know that we've done things wrong. And so in this series, Sola, which is these, these five pillars of our faith, we, we've learned that Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone, God's Word, the Bible, is our sole authority for faith, what we believe, and practice, how we live out our lives. And so as we've been looking at this issue of salvation, <clears throat> We've been looking into God's Word. And so we've put this summary statement together, the kind of what we're doing here. So we're four weeks into this. We're going to have five total weeks. But according to Scripture alone, <clears throat> we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. And so salvation is by grace alone. It's, grace means gift. I mean, you can kind of summarize it that way. And so it's a gift of God. It's given to us. And we've learned that we're enslaved to sin. We're imprisoned by sin. We're going to learn a couple, more time, a couple more things this week about how God views us prior to coming to Christ. And so it's a gift that God has to give us. <clears throat> it's based on faith. It's believing or pulling our full, our full weight of trust on what God says about this gift that He's given us. And today, it's Christ alone. He's the gift. What he did on the cross is the gift. Him taking our judgment on the cross is the gift that he's given us. And it's only through Christ and because of who he is that we can have this salvation. So we want to talk about that today. And, and I was thinking about it, and I've said this before, that even if, you know, even if we wanted to help God out, if we wanted to help Christ out, I'm sure he would appreciate it. But when God does something... God does it perfectly, and God does it completely. <clears throat> it, it, it doesn't even work for us to be a part of it, because when he does something, he does it completely. He doesn't need anybody's help. It doesn't help to help him, I guess is another way of putting it. <clears throat> now, I just want to give you a, a reminder. Uh, we've had, uh, last, uh, last couple of weeks, uh, we've had five people accept Christ, which, you know, thank the Lord for that. It's awesome. Um, we've seen 14 people this year come to Christ. 
And that's awesome. We've got a, you know, even a few more months. That's really what we're all about, right? We want to see people come to Christ, place their faith in Christ, have that relationship, and then we come around as the church family and walk with them and help them and learn. And then as they're learning, we're learning, and it's just we all start growing spiritually. But there's one thing that happens quite a bit. <clears throat> and by the way, at the 9 o'clock uh, service, um, we had some people indicate salvation as well. And, um, and so hopefully this is kind of a reminder for everybody. We talked last week about spiritual life. Right? God gives us spiritual life. We're going to talk more about it this morning, the fact that we're spiritually dead. But he gives us spiritual life. Where Jesus talks about in John 3 that we're um, born again. What that means is we're born physically, and then we're born spiritually. So when we're born physically, that only happens once. Right? I mean, none of you guys have ever been born by your mom twice. Right? I'm just... You know, yeah, exactly right. That's exactly right. I was just about to say that. Yeah, and all the mothers go, thank you, Lord. Um, the husbands are like, what? What's the problem? Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, so once you're born physically, beep. Um, so Ellie, well, it almost happened to Ellie this week. I guess it's like she pursed four times and um, it, Justin said it was like a catcher mitt situation. So, anyways, baby Ben is here. Uh, not here, but he's in the world. He's at the house. Uh, anyways, Justin's here, though. Woo, Justin, way to go, buddy. <clears throat> he's like, honey, let me go to church and worship the Lord on behalf of our family today. You stay home with the kids. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Setting that in spiritual environments. Beautiful, yeah. Mm. Love it. <laughs> so, anyways. So, yeah, baby, Ellie wouldn't want baby Ben back in again and do that all over again. But when you're physically born, you're physically born. There's, there's nothing you can do, nor do you try to become physically born again. You just, you're born physically. And now you'll go around doing life as a physically born person would do life. In the same way, very similar to that, we are born spiritually. Okay? So at the moment in time in your past, if you're sitting here this morning, you've placed your faith in Christ, whether it was this morning at 9 o'clock, or if it was last week, or it was a month, a year, 50 years ago for me. Um, if you, it, at the point in time you did that, you were spiritually born. Okay? So when I, I prayed to accept the Lord when I was uh, four years old, and I, I understood it at that point, and I placed my faith in Christ. And I know some people think, well, you're too young, but okay. Sorry, but I understood it. Um, so I placed my faith in Christ when I was four, four years old. I've never prayed to accept Christ again in my life. Why? Because I was spiritually born then. Just like I've never gone back into my mom to be physically born again. So you pray to accept Christ once, you're spiritually born, and now you show that you're spiritually born by how you live your life. You know, we've gone through James, we've been talking about that. So I just want to make sure, clarify that for people, because the whole idea, when we place our faith in Christ there shouldn't be any more uncertainty about our salvation because we've, Christ has got it. So I don't have to be concerned. I don't have to keep on praying and asking him to save me because he's already saved me once. Again, we'll be talking more about that this morning. I just want to throw that out there um, so we have that kind of hopefully nailed down. Now, we still confess our sin because now we're in a father-child relationship with him. We talked about this last week. We're adopted into his family. And so when my, when my kids sinned, against me, when they disobeyed me, um, they, didn't, when they weren't kicked out of my family, 
so they had to be rebirthed again. They were still part of my family. There was just now a, an issue of fellowship. Things were not right in the house. And until they asked for forgiveness and I could forgive them, that relationship wasn't intimate. You know, it wasn't, uh, there wasn't fellowship, a warm fuzzy happening. And it's the same thing with God. So we place our faith in Christ. We become a child of God. Now we still confess our sin, not because we've lost our salvation, but because we want our relationship with God, that fellowship to be tight. You know, we want to make sure things are good between us and God. So anyways, I just wanted to clarify that. That's, uh, that's all free uh, this morning, so don't worry about paying me for that one. Um, but I got a lot of words left, so since I get paid by the word, I got to get rolling here. Uh, so this morning, we're going to look at this idea of, of Christ alone, that salvation is something God gives us, but it's through Christ alone. It's not Christ plus something else. Um, and so what we're going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to talk about just a few more ways that God describes us as who we are prior to coming to Christ, prior to putting our faith in Christ. And then we're going to talk about who Christ is, and then we're going to talk about uh, what God does at that moment of salvation. We're not going to get into everything that goes on at salvation because there's quite a bit of, uh, of things that take place, but we're going to talk about these, these two things. All right, sound good? Yeah. All right. Oh, most of you guys are into this. So. All right, so let's look at some of the ways that God views us um, prior to coming to Christ. So in Romans chapter 5, uh, Paul tells us that God sees us as helpless or ungodly. He says, for while we were still helpless... At the, time, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So prior to Christ, prior to us putting our faith in Christ, God sees us as helpless. That word means to be without strength. So we have no spiritual strength. We are ungodly. We are wicked. We are sinful. So we have no spiritual strength because we're sinners, and we have no way because we have no spiritual strength to get rid of that sin. All right, again, we've talked quite a bit about this in the last couple of weeks, so I'm not going to take up a whole lot of time with this. I just want to bring in some of these other descriptions that God gives us. Second one, later on in Romans 5, he says that we are enemies of God. So he says, for if while we were enemies, now this is the good news, all right, this is, this is good stuff right here. So while we were enemies, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, Jesus, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. That word enemies means hatred or adversary. So prior to us putting our faith in Christ, God sees us as an enemy of his. An enemy that he's willing to love. Okay? An enemy that he's committed to saving. And so what does he do? God the Son puts on flesh and he dies on the cross on our behalf. He reconciles us to God so that we would be saved by his life. So Jesus' life is what saves us. We'll be talking more about that later. Notice it's Jesus' life that saves us. It's not our life that saves us. It's not us doing life God's way that saves us. It's Jesus and his life that saves us. Now to me, this last one is uh, personally is the one I use quite a bit because I think it's very, very descriptive. But it's the fact that we are spiritually dead. Paul says in Ephesians 2, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the year, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. What he's basically saying there is, prior to coming to Christ, you did life your way, just like Satan does. Right? That's what Satan's issue was. He wanted to do life his way. He wanted to be the God of his life. 
And God said, sorry, I'm God. Kicked him out of heaven. Well, when we, prior to Christ, we are doing life our way. Even people who say they want to be saved by God, when they say, yeah, I'm trying to do I, 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 me, me, I'm trying, I'm, that's them thinking the way Satan thinks. That they can somehow earn God's love or his acceptance or whatever. He already loves us because even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were his enemies, at the right time, Christ died for us. We're spiritually dead. Now, so you guys have heard this if you've been here any length of time. If we had a dead person laying here or prop him up in a chair, there would be no relationship between me and that dead person. Why? Because there's no life in that dead person. That dead person can't do anything. The reason why it's sitting in a chair he's sitting, is because I put him there. There's no relationship. That's how God views us prior to coming to Christ. There's no spiritual life there. You, you may say, well, I'm going to church. I'm sitting here every Sunday morning and I'm listening to you, Pastor, and I even like how you present the message and I like the music and I may, maybe some of you guys are even serving and, you know, I'm here. Yeah, the, great. Thank the Lord. Keep coming. But God is saying, unless you've placed your faith in Christ and Christ alone, He sees you as spiritually dead. There's no life. So that's, that's where we're at. So He has to give us that spiritual life. And again, that spiritual life is given, and once it's given, it can't be taken away, and it's not something we can add to it. It's, it's given. It is what it is. So who is Jesus Christ? All right, well, I'll look at a couple things that the Bible says about who is Jesus. First one is this. He's God. So Paul talks about this in Colossians. He's the image of the invisible God. He, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, like our spiritual life. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of God to dwell in him and through him reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of, his Christ, of, his, uh, of the cross. So this word image, we get our word icon from it. It means a likeness or a statue. And what this means is that Jesus reveals to us in physical form, he lived out for us who God is. Now, he is God. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, blow our minds, can't quite wrap our minds around it, which is good because he's God. We're not, if we understood him, then we would be God. And if that was the case, it would be scary. But anyways, so Jesus reveals in physical form who this invisible God is, because you can't see God, but you can see Christ, but we will see him one day. He says he's the firstborn of all creation. Now, he's not saying that he was created because God has always existed. God, nobody created God, and God the Son is God. So he wasn't created. Some Christian cults will say that he was created. What this term means is he's the foremost. He's the most important of all creation, in other words, he is preeminent. He is over creation. He is God, and he is over creation. Why? Because he created. He was the word that God spoke. John 1, he's the word that's been eternal. 
And then for the fullness, it means uh, uh, what, uh, what fills the contents. And so what is, what is it that Jesus is? Who is he? He is God. Very, anything and everything that he is, he is God. He's 100% God. He's also 100% man. So next thing we find out is he's our mediator. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. He's our mediator. That means the go-between, the reconciler. There's only one mediator. How many mediators between us and God? One. That means I am not your mediator. That means any other religious leader, whatever you want to call them, pastor, reverend, priest, bishop, whatever, I don't know know if there's any other ones out there, but whatever they might be, there's no one else that mediates between you and God but Jesus Christ. You don't want me mediating. I am not a good mediator. I'm a good meat eater. (laughs) August 21st, guys, I don't know if you... It just hit me, a meat eater. I'm so, but no, I'm not a mediator. Jesus, 100% man, 100% God, he is your mediator. You want him as your mediator. Why? Because he died for you. You know, it's just like, it's the best of all possible worlds that he would be your mediator. He's also the high priest. Hebrews, the author there says, therefore, he, speaking of Jesus, had to be made like his brethren in all things. He's, in other words, he had to be made human. He was human. So that he might become a merciful, well, it's good to know he's merciful, and faithful, he's going to stick with us, a high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation. There's that big word again. In other words, to be our substitute for the sins of the people. So Christ had to become man so that he could be our high priest. He becomes man. He takes on humanity. So then he becomes our propitiation. He's our substitute. Not stuff that we do, but what he has done. He's our substitute. He makes reconciliation. He makes our relationship with God right. That's what reconciliation means. We're separated from God. Somebody has to make that right. God has made that right through God the Son. So it it doesn't matter what other person may think or say or what other writings may tell us that somebody else is in that position, but nobody else is in that position but Jesus Christ. You don't have to pray to me, and then I take it to God. You don't have to pray to people who have gone before you, and they take it to God. You take it to God through Christ. That's awesome. A direct line. No other information getting messed up because you're going to God the Son who takes it to God the Father, which by the way, also God the Holy Spirit's involved in that. We won't get into all that, but Romans 8 tells us that he's the one who's there and he's, he's making sure even when we don't know how to pray, he, he takes it and makes it so it's God's will. <laughs> wow. So I, I, I can't even pray wrong. This is awesome, you know. Uh, 
It's also when I'm praying, Lord, you know, I really need you to do this for me. The Holy Spirit's going, oh, well, you know that you don't need him to have that, but you need him to have that. You know, it's that kind of thing going on. Anyways, I'm getting off track. But and then, okay, so then in Hebrews 7, I got to move on. So Hebrews continues on with this. He says, for it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. That's Jesus. He's perfect. He's exalted about why? Because he's God. Who does not need daily, like those high priests, you know, the Old Testament guys, or even the priests and pastors today, to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people. Because, look at this, he did once for all when he offered up himself. Jesus did it once for all. It's not constantly going back to God, please forgive me and save me. Going back to God, please forgive me and save me. Please forgive me and save me. Please, no, because Jesus did it once for all on our behalf. He was our representative. He was our mediator. He did it. And so we pray, pray to ask him to forgive us of our sins and we're placing our faith in Christ. God says, you're forgiven. Sin's gone. Past, present, future. Boom. Clear. Sentence. Clear. Record. Clear. Jesus has it. He did it once for all. All those who would place their faith in Christ. And then look what he says further on in Hebrews. Now the main point in what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens, a minister in a sanctuary in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. Jesus isn't doing something through other people inside of some building here on earth that man erected. Jesus is doing what he did in heaven, in God's presence, in the true tabernacle, temple, church building, whatever you want to call it. And so he, he did it. He seated himself. He, he, that, that word means to, that his work is complete. It's done. He can't add to it. He finished it. He sat down. <laughs> like me after... You know, working on a door at the house, and I'm just I'm done with it. I sit down. I'm done. No more for the rest of the day. I'm finished with that door. The only problem is he doesn't make a mistake like I did on a door, which, why well, it took me all day to hang a door. But anyways, it's besides the point. He's a minister in a true tabernacle. He does that for us. Which then brings us to the next one, and that he's, a, he's our advocate. So now, John, the Apostle John, was writing to people who have placed their faith in Christ, and he wants to remind them of something. Okay? And he says this, my little children, that's why he calls them that, because he's kind of helped them grow in their faith. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, because, again, we all do, even those who place their faith in Christ, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation, there's that word again, or the substitute for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Now, why is this important to know? Because once a person places their faith in Christ, they're going to sin again. Because we're still on this earth, we're still in these sinful bodies. Notice what John says. John doesn't say, yeah, and when you sin again, uh, you need to do a bunch of things for God to forgive you. No. We're forgiven. Why? Because Jesus is our advocate. <laughs> He's, he's sitting there, and when we sin, 
not that this is actually going to happen, but you know, he sins, God's go, oh, and Jesus says, no, 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 over here, I'm on, I'm on your right, took care of that. He's our advocate. So when we sin, we confess that to him. Not to get our salvation back, just to get the fellowship restored, the intimacy restored, clear the ear, maybe another way of putting it. Because Jesus is our advocate. Just, I mean, just no need for us to go to anybody else or to do something else but to go through Christ. That word advocate, Jesus used of the Holy Spirit. He used the word comforter there or helper. But it's the same, same word. He's the one there. He's the one taking care of it for us. He's the one being responsible for us. So we're sinners unable to save ourselves. Jesus Christ is God. Therefore, he's the only one who can save us. So what does God do at the point of salvation? Now, I'm going to tell you what he does, okay? Or Paul's going to tell us what he does. I can't give you all the intricate details. It's kind of like me with a computer. Now, I can plug a computer in, and I can hit start, and I can log in. I can't tell you what's going on inside of that, okay? Some of you guys can, but I can't. And so with this whole thing, none of us really grabs hold of this. It's just something that God does, and this is what he tells us. And so what does God do? Well, according to 2 Corinthians 5, the first part of the verse says, speaking of God, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, because he was perfect, he was God, to be sin on our behalf. So at that point of salvation, when we've prayed to accept Christ, if you're sitting here this morning, you've never prayed to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you do that this morning, what happens is this. When you say, I, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, and, and God, please forgive me of my sin, and I'm trusting in Christ. At that moment in time, he takes our sin and he places it on Christ, on Christ on the cross. I don't know how he does it. I, I can't explain it. I'm just trusting what God says. That somehow or another, my sin, when I was four years old, my sin passed, which was not a whole lot because I was four years old. By present... People who listen to this on podcasts are not here. They, don't, they think I'm actually serious, but you saw my face, right? I was four years old. Didn't do anything wrong. Um, the present and the future sins, forgiven, gone, taken care of on Jesus Christ. Peter writes it this way. And he himself, Jesus, no one helping him, not even me. <laughs> so he himself bore our sins in his body, on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. Jesus took our sins on. God places our sins on Jesus, and he himself, he volunteered for this, he himself did it. Not he and me, not he and somebody else, not he and something I'm doing, him, himself, he alone. And at the same time, and what allows him then to do what he's going to do next, by him taking my sin and giving it to Christ, putting it on Christ, where Christ then died on my, in my place, then he places his righteousness on us, on me, on you. So that, so, him, so he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So that, what's the purpose? So that we might become righteousness, the righteousness of God in him. Wow, what? <laughs> so my sin is removed, and then God takes his righteousness, because it's on Christ, 
my sins on Christ, and he gives me his righteousness. He makes me right with him. Can't explain it. I'm not saying we're God. We don't get part, you know, all become part of the Godness, you know. No, we're still human beings, but God sees us with his righteousness on us because he's removed our sin and put that on Christ, who took our eternal judgment on himself. So we become the righteousness of God in Christ. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. But by his, speaking of God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and you can read it this way, wisdom from God and righteousness from God and sanctification from God and redemption from God, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. We're going to talk more about next week as we close off the series, this whole idea of for God's glory alone. We have no reason to boast in our salvation because God is the only one who deserves that. And we'll talk more about that. But what we're saying here is that in Christ, God has given us his wisdom so that we can apply that to our world. We have the, God's word given to us to help us with that. And he, he's given us his righteousness and he's given us his sanctification and redemption, of course. But we want to talk about these righteousness and, and sanctification here real quick. If we have God's righteousness, can we make that better of ourselves? Can, is there anything we can do to make God's righteousness better than it is? Any religious thing I could do to make His righteousness better? Any, any religious ceremony or prayer or whatever, or just being a good person? Can I make His righteousness better? No, we can't. Why? It's perfect. There's no need to make it better. It's perfect. And then his sanctification is from him. Now, why is this important? Going back you know, to the 1500s where all this kind of started, um, we talked about justification before, right? So justification, big word, it means that God has declared us not guilty. We place our faith in Christ. We are justified by God. God says you're not guilty of your sin, and so we're justified. Then he also sanctifies us. Sanctification, according to what the Bible teaches, sanctification is kind of two-sided. One is, at that point of salvation, God sets us apart for his use. So the word sanctified means in one sense. So, place your faith in Christ, forgiveness of your sin, we're adopted into God's family, now we're a child of God, right? So now we, are, we live life the way God wants us to live. So we are sanctified. It's a positional thing. It's when you die, you go to heaven because you've been set apart. There's also, the Bible teaches, the idea of sanctification in that as we still live on this earth, that we become more and more like Christ. We're conformed to the image of Christ. We obey God like Jesus did, and we become more and more like him. That's sanctification, becoming more and more spiritual growth. You know, we call it out of, you know, different things. The Roman Catholic Church combines those two. And they say, salvation by faith in Christ, justified but then you need to be involved in the sanctification process. You need to become more and more saved, more and more insured of your salvation, that type of thing. The problem is when you get back to sola scriptura, when you get back to what scripture teaches, scripture teaches that there are two things connected, but not combined in the sense that our saint, we work for our salvation. 
we're already sanctified, we're already part of God's family, we're his child, and now we become more and more like his child. Just like my kids, as they've, grazed, as they've grown up, for good or bad, they're becoming more and more like Kim and me. So, like me, bad, like Kim, good, all right? But that's how we're, we're becoming more and more, Paul talks about imitating, you know, being imitators of, of Christ. We can become more like Christ. All right, move on. So, how do we live? So I just want to finish out with this before we do some takeaways because I think it's very important that we understand that good works are in here somewhere. And so each week I've been trying to explain where does the good works come in? Where does our church attendance and being a part of a church family come in and being a part of Bible study and you know, taking communion, being baptized and being nice to other people? and all, Where does that come in? Because the Bible talks about that, obviously. Well, it's not for salvation, but it's because of salvation. Something that happens after you've placed your faith in Christ. Here's how Paul talks about it in Galatians chapter 2. So he says, I've been, I've been crucified with Christ. And so you can read it as I, if you've placed your faith in Christ. You've been crucified with Christ. You are dead. In other words, the way you did life before Christ is dead. It's no longer to be in operation. And it is no longer I who live... But Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So how we live? Christ lives in us, so it's him empowering us. We have the Holy Spirit in us. We, we've been given spiritual life, so it's, it's, it's Christ who's living in us. So it's even when I do something well or right, that rightness is Christ doing it in me. I'm not doing it, so therefore I can't even help my own salvation because Christ lives in me. He's living in me and through me. And when, so when I have a, a situation where prior to Christ, I would have responded in a certain way, in a herald way, anger, manipulation, you know, whatever it might be to try to get whatever it is that I want. Now I hit that same situation, but now Christ is living in me. So now I take a step of faith and the step of faith is I'm going to do it God's way. I'm going to live like Christ. God, help me to do this right. Holy Spirit, empower me to do this right. I'm going to do what God says I should do in this situation. Which, by the way, is always completely opposite than what we want to do. And if we do it, people are going to look at us going, what in the world are you doing? I just want to give you a heads up, okay? So we take a step of faith. Why is it a step of faith? Because we don't know if it's going to work. We're just trusting what God says it's going to work. And so I'm going to do it. Boom. And I respond in gentleness. And I respond in kindness. And I respond in order to help the person. The person may not appreciate it, but that has nothing to do with what I'm doing. I'm not responsible for how somebody responds to me trying to be Christ in their life. I, I can't be responsible for that. I can only do what God calls me to do, be responsible for that, and let God take care of the situation. So Christ lives in me. I, me, myself, Harold, how Harold wants to do it, that's been crucified. That's what's hanging on the cross with Christ. That's what he died for. And so, obviously, I can't help him save me because every time I respond, it's in sin. And so we sac I sacrificially, you sacrificially love others. We respond the way people need us to do, just like Christ responded the way we needed him to do when he died on the cross. And like I said, then it's by faith in Jesus. We just got to, okay... I'm not used to doing it this way. I'm not used to responding this way, but I'm going to do it the way God wants me to do. God, give me the strength to do it. And then we do it. We take a step of faith, and then we see God at work. 
which by the way is part of that sanctification process. As we do that, as we see God work, then we're more, more apt to step in faith. And then we have success in the sense that God does what he's going to do. And okay, I could trust him for that one. I'm going to take him this step. And I could trust him for those two steps. I'm going to trust him for this step. And so we just keep on moving as opportunities come before us. All right, so takeaways. So again, we don't do this every week, but when the, when the topic or the discussion or the passage that we're talking on talks about salvation, then we want to make sure that people understand what the Bible says about salvation. We want to offer an opportunity for you who are here this morning who may not have, have that certainty of knowing that you've placed your faith in Christ and that you've got God in your life, that you're right with Him, and that when you die one of these days, you're going to go to heaven. And no doubt there's some of you in here that are probably not certain of that. I'm certain of that, that there isn't. Okay. I, I'm, I'm sure there isn't. A group this size. And again, you could be going to church your entire life, but you've never made this decision. So I want to give that opportunity. Just, just go ahead and close your eyes. And again, if you've been here the last several weeks, we've done this, and people have prayed to accept Christ as their Savior. And, and so I just want to give that as an opportunity again this morning. And I'm going to, I'm going to say a prayer and it's not the prayer that saves you. It's not me who's saving you. It's, it's you having a conversation with God. And I'm just going to give you the words to say that because it may be helpful for you to have those. And so if you're here this morning, if you're not certain that you know for sure you've, that you have a relationship with God and you're going to go to heaven one day, and you haven't been in your life now, I, mean, I, I want you to take the opportunity. I'm encouraging you to take the opportunity. And just pray a prayer like this to say, God... I know that I'm a sinner and that I'm separated from you. But I also know and I believe I'm putting my full weight of trust in what you say about what Jesus did on the cross. That he died for my sins. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I'm trusting in Christ. Christ alone. Thank you for your righteousness. Thank you for your forgiveness. In Christ's name, amen. Just keep your eyes closed. And again, if you've prayed that prayer in the past and you are sincere about that, there's no need for you to pray that again. You are a child of God. Now you just need to grow in that. But if you're here this morning, this is the first time you honestly and sincerely prayed that prayer. I would appreciate it if you just raise your hand up because I just love to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to come up front or anything, um, but just raise your hand up. Just let me know you've done that. And um, thanks, I see that. I see that hand. Anybody else? Okay. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this morning and opportunity to bring your word, Lord. I know that. Um, that you're the one who ultimately brings understanding and insight. And so I pray that you would continue to do that in our lives and we'll be sure to give you the praise and the glory. In Christ's name, amen. Well, as the band comes up, uh, Christians, those who have prayed to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not out of, the, out of this. You, know, you have your own takeaway. Um, so if you're sure of your salvation, then the question is, does your life show that? Are you living a life in faith of Christ? Are you 
doing life God's way? Is there an area or areas in your life where you're like, okay, I need to get this, you know, let God get this under control so I could be more like Christ, respond. Maybe it's relational stuff, maybe it's personal stuff, um, maybe it's work-related, I don't know, whatever it is where you need to adjust that and get back on track and do life God's way. Because, again, we're going to talk about this more next week, but it's part of the glory of God, us revealing to others who God is by how we live our lives. So Ben, I'm going to hand it off to you guys. Do you need me to stall? Church, you can stand as we sing this last song. Church, you guys are dismissed. Have a great rest of your weekend.